Uh, some of you uh, probably don't realize this, but there's a lot that goes in to preparing for Sunday mornings um, all across the board. And one of those things is a lot of you are holding in your hands the uh, church bulletin. And I have a great lady here amongst our mitts, Miss Carolyn Hobbs, who does a fine job on these. And uh, this week, in the hustle and bustle of Christmas, Pastor didn't call her. But you have a bulletin. So thank you, Miss Carolyn. She's good about picking up my slack. And that's a good church when the pastor's not doing everything and everybody knows what they need to do, when they need to do it, and how to do it, whether the pastor tells them or not. And so I appreciate that. And one thing you will not find in this bulletin is some things that I found uh, in other church bulletins. I want to share some of these with you. Now, some of you have probably heard these before, but these are some uh, mistakes uh, found in church bulletin readings uh, and also church signs out in front of the churches. There was a church sign, and this is what the church sign read out in front of the church. Don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. Uh, here's some from a church bulletin. Please remember in prayer the many who are sick of our church and community. Uh, he who laughs slowest, uh, he who laughs last thinks slowest. Anyway, easy for me to say. This being Easter Sunday, we will ask Mrs. Jones to come forward and lay an egg on the altar. The beautiful flowers on the altar this morning are to celebrate the birth of David Allen Belzer, the son of Reverend and Mrs. Julius Belzer. <laughs> if any of the congregation have children and don't know it, there is a nursery downstairs. <laughs> Everyone is welcome this Tuesday at 4 p.m. for an ice cream social. All ladies giving milk will please come early. <laughs> At the Ladies Liturgy Society this Thursday, Mrs. Smith will sing, Put Me in My Little Bed, accompanied by the pastor. <laughs> this Friday at 5 p.m., there will be a meeting of the Little Mothers Club. All wishing to become Little Mothers, please see the minister in his private study. <laughs> I'm not making these up. These are real bloopers. Okay. Wow. Um, how about this? This week, we invite any member of the congregation who enjoys sinning to join the choir. <laughs> the ladies of the church have cast off clothing of every kind, and they may be seen in the church basement Friday. This Monday, we'll be, we will be holding a bean supper in the church hall. Music will follow. <laughs> Oh, mercy. Uh, the topic for our sermon next week will be, What is hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. <laughs> this evening, there will be a meeting in the south and north ends of the church. Children will be baptized at both ends. <laughs> the 2003 church retreat will be hell, May 10th and 11th. Okay. Weight watchers will, will meet at 7 p.m. in the church hall. Please use large double door at the side entrance. 
There will be a special collection today to pay for eight new choir robes. These are needed due to the addition of several new members and to the deterioration of some older ones. (laughs) Mrs. Williams will be going into hospital this week for... Well, anyways, we will... (laughs) Uh, Next Sunday, a special collection will be taken to defray the cost of the new carpet. All those wishing to do something on the new carpet will come forward and get a piece of paper. (laughs) This week, our pastor is on vacation. Massages can be given to church secretary. (laughs) And let me wrap this up. Um, Let's see. Uh, The Scouts are saving aluminum cans, bottles, and other items to be recycled. Proceeds will be used to cripple children. So anyways, thank you, Carolyn, for not uh, putting any of those in the bulletin. And now we will all be keeping our eyes out for such things as that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're continuing our study through the book of Ephesians. And, of course, um, we've been looking at uh, chapter 2, and in that we've, we've sort of been going through this, this outline um, in these first ten passages. You'll remember the first week uh, of chapter 2, we looked at our past as far as in relation to salvation. Uh, we were dead, verses 1 through 3. Uh, We talked about how we were dead in trespasses and sin, and and God has made us alive. We also looked at the present aspect of salvation, how we were delivered. Uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And uh, we'll continue today looking at the future, how we were destined. And uh, we'll look at that, and that's in verses 7 through 10. Our future, uh, we were destined. Uh, You can follow along here in the passage if you want. If you do not have a Bible, you can look up here on the screen. And uh, let's go through these, and I will step down and read uh, along with you. Uh, And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I ask that You would just clear my mind, that You would help me to be controlled by the Holy Spirit this morning. I ask, Lord, that it be a clean vessel fit for Your honor. 
that, Lord, that your word would go forth and have free course. And I pray for the hearts of the listeners, that they would be attentive. And, Lord, I ask that you would speak uh, this morning through your truth. And we give you praise in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. The future. We were destined. If you're taking notes this morning, here's the uh, three-point outline today is His pardon. Uh, We're going to look at that we were destined because of His pardon. We're also going to see because of His provision. And that's in verses 8 through 9. And then our third point that we'll close out this morning is His poem. And and that'll make a little more sense once we get to that heading. Uh, But there's your outline. So let's take a look at the first point in our text. Uh, His pardon. Uh, Notice with me, if you would, in verse 7. Uh, Verse 7 reads that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You remember Paul has been explaining to the believers at Ephesus, uh, focusing mainly on the Gentile audience. And he said to them, look, you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sin. Spiritually, you wanted nothing to do with God. And that is us. When we come into this world, we have no spiritual pulse. We're dead. You don't desire God. You don't want to know God. All of your actions lead you on a course far away from God. You want nothing to do with Him. Actually, you can't. And it's only by the quickening power of the Holy Spirit of God that man is awakened. It's through the light of the gospel, when it penetrates the heart of man, that he is enlightened, that he's, uh, he, this understanding comes that awakens him to new birth. It's then that man is justified before God. But Paul is wanting to remind these believers how they once were. You once walked according to the lust of the flesh in this world. And we too once were children of disobedience. We were sons of disobedience. We were children of wrath. Because you see, even though man in this world may continue to live his life away from God and think, well, there's no God. I've done things wrong and God doesn't strike me down with a lightning bolt. There's no God. Well, I got news. The scriptures say that man is storing up, say it, don't spray it, Storing up wrath. Man is storing up wrath. God's wrath is being piled on and eventually the dam's going to burst. There is coming a judgment day that man will stand before God and give an account and then the judgment. So don't let anyone think that they're not going to give an account. Every man will stand before a holy God. And all they're doing is, as they continue to live separate from God, pursuing the nature of self and sin, is storing up wrath for that day. And Paul reminds them. He says, look, that's not the case now. You've been saved. He's talking to the believers. He's talking to those who've been plucked out of that that life in Ephesus, that uh, wicked city where idolatry was rampant, sin was rampant, and they've been made new creations in Christ. He says, you've been saved through faith. And so, now he's talking about the future. What's expected now that you're a believer? What's expected, church, for you as believers? 
Well, verse 7 says, there's a little phrase here, it's called, it says, in the ages to come. In the ages to come. Now, there's a Greek word here that's used. And this Greek word is a perkamai, a perkamai, and it means come. And this is used of coming events, suggesting their certainty. This little word in itself contains this idea of not maybe, perhaps, but it's a certainty that in the ages to come, this is what is expected. Notice the text. He says that, in, or maybe a better way to translate it is in, in Ephesians 2, 7, the oncoming of the ages. Now when Paul writes this, I don't believe he's just making reference to the millennial kingdom the age to come where Christ will reign and will reign with Him. I don't think He's just encouraging the believers about glory. I think He's also encouraging believers, as we'll see in the the text that follows, how they're going to live. What's expected of you in carrying out your walk as a believer. And so, obviously when Paul wrote this, there were many ages to come since Paul. There's been many ages that have transpired since Paul. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean there's been a lot of years past, right? There's been a lot of Christians carrying the torch from the days of Ephesus when this was penned to encourage them, to instruct them, to today where we still are reading the living Word of God as Paul, uh, or, or probably he had a scribe penning for him, but it's still encouraging us today in our walk. So we see that in the ages to come, verse 7, that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Paul wants you to know that in the days to follow, God wants to show you his tremendous grace. God wants to show you his exceeding riches of grace. He wants to show you his kindness. So, uh, let's take another in-depth look here. Check this out. Verse 7, there's another, there's another word used here. This one's a little tougher to pronounce. It's indikinami. Indikinami. It's to point out. It means to, to show. It means to demonstrate or to prove, whether by arguments or by acts. God wants to prove to you. He wants to point out to you. He wants to manifest. He wants to display. He wants to put forth His kindness toward you who believe. Not only you, but those that He's placed you to minister to. So, important stuff here. Not only have we experienced uh, His his richness, and we have the, the future destiny that we know awaits us in glory because of His pardon, uh, well, let me ask you a question. What is he with certainty showing? What is he trying to prove here? Well, the text says he's trying to prove his grace. He's trying to demonstrate his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, I think this phrase, in Christ Jesus, is key to understanding Ephesians. As you go through this book, and you begin from chapter 1, and we've covered this from the beginning to now, Go through sometime and circle in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. There's the answer. Now, I think what happens too often times 
is theologians will dissect this. They get so under the microscope and, and hence the, the arguments of, of Calvinism and Arminianism and, and taking it down to hyper-Calvinism, to universalism. I mean, there's just so much that goes on here. And I think what happens is one side looks at one side too much and they neglect the other side of the coin, so to speak. But when I read this, the key phrase is in Christ. For by grace you've been saved. He says that um, God is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show, demonstrate, prove the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You're not going to experience God's blessing. You're not going to experience God's grace. You're not going to experience God's uh, kindness if you're not in Christ. The wrath of God waits and abides on you. Now, you may have some happenings in your life that are good. And God does reign on the just and the unjust. But experiencing the, the, the bliss, the, the joy, the glory that awaits that Paul's describing here, you're not going to experience that unless you are in Christ. Okay? Only those that were in the ark when the flood came were preserved. Only those that are in Christ when the wrath comes will endure. Only those that are in Christ will be saved. So, again, I think there's, there's, there's a lot more here than, than we can touch on in, in a time like this. But, but I want you to think about this. As I'm studying through this, and these are where my thoughts are right now as, as, a, as a student of the Word. And I'm still growing. Uh, God's still working on me in these areas. And I'm wrestling with some things. But here's my thoughts right now. I think very clearly that in Christ, Christ Jesus, our Lord, um, are all those benefits and blessings. And when we go out and share the gospel, when we share the good news to a lost person, they're dead, they're spiritually dead, okay? We're shining a light into their soul when we share with them the good news. You know what? Christ died for you. If you're willing to surrender your life to Christ, and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll clothe you in His righteousness. You'll be made a new creation. Old things will pass away. Behold, all things will become new. He'll give you a new heart for the things of Him. And we plead. I see Paul pleads and urges and, 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 and begs people to give their life to Christ. Surrender your life to Christ. There's a, there's a judgment day coming. Repent. And be converted, Peter says. Repent and be converted. And I think as every time we share the gospel, we're shining the light of the gospel into the heart of man. And man, I believe that, in a sense, is that drawing. No man can come to the Father unless the Spirit of God draws him. Well, the Word of God is the living Spirit of God. When we preach and teach, that Word goes forth, and it does 
enlighten. It does shine a light, so to speak, on the darkness of man's soul. And man either will recoil to that light or he'll respond to that light. And I believe if man will respond to that, that God will continue to draw with those, those cords of love. And man will come to that place of surrender and brokenness in spirit where he'll give his life to Jesus Christ. And as he does that, he's in Christ. He's sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Nothing can pluck him from the hand of God. If you believe that God can somehow drop you, God's not strong enough to hold you. If you believe somehow that, that you could sin, what sin is it that takes you out of His hand? Which sin is greater than the power of God? Well, I believe that, that uh, um, the devil could do it. So you're telling me that the devil is stronger than Almighty God. No, look, this, this is foolishness. We should understand that what God has done and what He says, it is finished. And that's why when you notice these tenses, and if you notice on our outline, I've used the phrase in past tense. Even though we look at the, the, the first, it was past, and, and um, we were dead. And then I said present, we were delivered. Future, we were destined. You see, God finished it, it's done. And, and as we continue through this text, this is all determined beforehand, before the foundation of the world. But here's what I believe was before the foundation of the world. Because Christ is always, God is always in the present. He refers to Himself as I am. Not I was, I, I, I am, I will be. I am, I am, I am. So from His perspective, it is done. From His perspective, it was before the foundation of the world. From His perspective, it is the end of time. From his perspective, he's always present tense seeing. So from the moment that I surrender my life and I'm put into Christ, from God's perspective, all those that are in him, he's before ordained, will walk this way. Anyone that's in Christ, anyone that gets on board, this is the way it's going to be. That's already determined. So don't get so bogged down in the, the tension here. There is great tension. It's the mysteries of God. We'll never fully understand and comprehend this. We can apprehend it. And that's what I'm attempting to do in my studies as I go through this because I have a great many of friends that tend to teeter to the hyper end of understanding this. And that's not me. I don't think that's being a biblicist because biblically speaking, I see both sides of the coin. I see God saying... Whosoever will. I see God demanding that all men everywhere repent. I see God saying He's not willing that any should perish. And I know the hyper side always has an argument and an answer to that. But I think they're missing this little phrase, in Christ. I agree with everything you say, in Christ. So, um, we're looking at His pardon in Christ. Well, how about His provision what about his provision? What has God given us? Look at verse 8. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift. Okay, now this is, again, um, where, where it gets tough. Let me throw this up on the board here. All right, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace Well, let me ask you like this. Let's go to this next one. 
What is the gift? What is the gift that, that God has given here? Well, according to the text, grace. That's one of his provisions. For by grace you have been saved. God has given every one of... He, he's extending a gift. It's called grace. It's God's unmerited favor. All right? For by grace you've been saved through faith. Faith is that vehicle that takes us to grace. Faith, substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by grace you have been saved. You know what else I think the gift is? Clearly, the gift is, according to Scripture, is His Son, Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's God given us? What's His gift? He's given you grace. Now, the hardcore electionists will say, He's given you faith. You will not believe... You will not respond to the gospel unless God gives you the faith to respond to the gospel. And this is where it gets sticky. So what some people are saying here is this. God lined up five people here, five people there. He says, I'm going to give you five faith to respond to the grace. But you five, I'm not. You're going to hell. But you five... I am going to demonstrate my love towards you, my grace to you. Now, again, this is tough stuff to wrestle through. It makes most people angry. Why does it make you angry? Well, I think it makes you angry because somehow it paints God as being unjust. That somehow He would determine that five people would automatically go to hell and they got no say in it. But remember, all ten, all ten are dead spiritually. Right? All ten are dead spiritually. According to Ephesians 2, 1. We're all dead in trespasses and sins. So even if God chose to save one, that's God's goodness. That's His prerogative. He's God. And that if really, if He gave us what we deserve, we all deserve hell. So the fact that He would even save one shows His goodness. And you know what? That's a great point. I, I can understand that. You know? Now, some of you, you, you've done this to your kids before. Maybe you, you got two or three kids, and, and, and for whatever reason, you say, here, here, Johnny, there's you a sucker. You didn't give the other two something. <laughs> you know. well, some of you have done that before. Why? Because you're dad and you can do that. Or your mom and you can do that. But see, I don't think that's the case. I think what's happening here is if we paint that picture, here's the problem I believe biblically you have with it. I believe it puts an undue characterization on God. I think it contradicts the scripture that talks about God is not partial. He does not show partiality. If I give it to these five and not these five, I've shown these partiality. I don't think that's God. I understand the concept. I understand the argument and I understand why they make the argument. But I don't agree with it because I don't think it really truly lines up with Scripture. I think what happens is they look on one side of the coin and they focus, 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 focus on how God has chosen, God has elected, God has foreordained, God has predestined. And that is in the Scriptures. It is taught. But I think the mystery of the understanding of it is where we're lacking. So, 
there's, an, there's some balance here. And I think that balance clearly is in Christ. Christ is the gift to the world. The light came into the world. Man did not love light. They loved darkness rather than light. They're not receiving it. They did not receive the love of the truth. How, Jesus said, oh, Israel. He, we, he wept for them. Oh, how I wish you would, you would repent. You know, he talked about taking them all in like little chicks. Why would he make a statement like that if it was impossible? I command all men everywhere. Well, how can you command? It's like going up to a cripple, laying flat on his back and say, I command you to get up. Oh, wait a minute, I made you cripple. (laughs) Sorry. That's cruel. That's not, no, that's not. I don't, I understand the sovereignty of God. I understand it. I understand it. I understand it. But we do an imbalance to the character of God when we don't explain both sides of this coin. And again, I know I can't draw this out completely and my time is fleeting. But understand this. When you go through the Scripture, take it for what it says. Plain and simple. When you see whosoever will, let him come. Share that. Share that. There's a balance between the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility. Every man is without excuse. Because of creation around him, God has made himself known. Through the law written on the heart, by the way, there's passages that refer to the law as being uh, the spirit that reveals. Um, The law that's on man's heart, every man is without excuse because the moral law of God is written on his heart. That's why when we approach someone, we use the Ten Commandments, the way of the master approach, because we have an advocate. The law is written on his heart. He knows these things to be true. Nobody has to tell him you've lied, you've stolen. Look, he knows, he's convicted of that. Creation screams about God. The law written on his heart tells him. The conscience, God has built a device inside called the conscience that tells you and I, this is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong. So see, God is screaming to every man, repent, get reconciled, get right. But man's responsibility, he accepts or rejects. He recoils to the idea or he responds and receives it. So yes, grace is, that, is one of the gifts. Faith is one of the gifts that God has given. But His Son, Jesus Christ, that's the ultimate gift He's given to mankind. So, um, continuing looking at His provisions. Well, verse 9 says that basically you can't earn it. You can't boast in self. Look, if you think you can get saved by being good enough, forget it. You'll never be good enough. You'll never earn your way to God. Can't go to church enough. Can't read your Bible enough. The efforts are in vain. You see, if you could do something, you could brag about it. Well, I've done this. I've done that. No, you cannot do that. Um, He has provided the means. Religion, you've heard me say this before, religion is man's attempt to reach God. Religion is man reaching up to God. He'll never get there. Relationship is God reaching down to man. And He reached down to mankind through His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you by faith will receive His Son and enter into a relationship, you will be reconciled to God. It's not religion, it's relationship. Well, let's take a look, continue on. Let's look at our third point. His poem, 
What do I mean by that, his, his poem? Well, again, verse, verse 10. Uh, and look at the text here. Verse 10 says in Ephesians 2, that for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is an interesting word here. This word is the word poema. Poema, it means, it's, it, it means workmanship. The word workmanship there, poema, it, it means that which has been made. That which has been made. It's also where we get our word poem from. Aha, you knew this would make sense eventually. Poem. Um, and so, so think about this. We're his workmanship. We're his poem. How cool is that? You're his poem. As a believer, God has penned a beautiful poem. It's, at least it's supposed to be beautiful. To the world around. How's your poem read? Some of you got a haiku out there. <laughs> It's the only one I remember. <laughs> um, so, how about this? It says that, he, that you were created in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a word, kitzo. And this word, kitzo, is, it means created. It means to form or shape, to completely change. I like this one. Or transform. Do you see what this passage is telling us? It's saying... Paul is trying to encourage these Gentile believers and these Jewish believers that are in Christ that you, by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It, it's the gift of God. God's given you this wonderful gift. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we, as believers, are His workmanship. We are His poem. And, and we were made or we were transformed in Christ Jesus. For good works. You see, prior to salvation, we were dead. But in Christ, you and I have been changed. We've been made new. Our story's being rewritten. In Christ. And, and so, um, what, were, what were we made for? Well... Clearly, we were made for, for good works. Uh, notice, notice this on the screen, if you would. We are as workmanship, created in Christ for good works. James 2.26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. You claim to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You say that you've been changed and transformed. God then has given you a new heart. And as you pursue the things of God, you can't help but manifest the things of God. You were created. You were designed. You were uh, made and transformed in Him. When you came to Him, when you received Him by faith. Listen, I know this clearly in my life because at age 25, there was a dramatic turn of events. Now, I realize some of you raised in the church, and maybe you were age 3 or 4, and... I mean, really, you know, between age 3 and 4, you get saved. What big change is there? You know, I don't poop my pants anymore. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. There's not a lot of change, is there? But there is a lot of change, spiritually speaking. Spiritually speaking, you were on your way to hell. You were dead in trespasses and sin. And then the light of the gospel penetrated your heart. And it made sense. And you knew you were on your way to hell. And for some reason, whether you're 3 or 4 or, or 34... 
You knew this, what somebody was sharing with you, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit was conveying to your heart that this is true. And you believed it. You understood this makes sense. I need to get right with God. And the Bible says that word repent means to turn from. You begin to change your mind that resulted in action. You changed your mind about the things of God. You changed your mind about the Word of God. You realize, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I'm on my way to hell unless things get right. God, forgive me. And you humbled yourself before God Almighty, seeking His grace, His forgiveness, by faith, receiving His Son Christ to take what you deserve. He already took it 2,000 years ago on a cross. He hung on that cross for you. He hung on that cross for me. And He said, it's finished. The gift's offered. The sacrifice has been made. It's paid in full. question is, will you by faith receive that? Or will you continue to pursue the way you understand things? There's a way in a man that seems right. But the end therein is destruction. It's death. I don't believe this whole Jesus thing. He's just a God like all these other fake gods that are out there. Well, you just keep walking that road. Eternity comes, reality's going to hit. And it's eternally too late. And you know that what I'm saying to you is true if you're here today and you're lost because the Spirit of God is conveying that this is true because you have been created in the image of God. And you think and you reason and you have emotion you understand these things. And in your heart of hearts, the law is there. And what is being said is conveyed to you. And you know, and some of you sit here today and, and, and maybe you've fooled others, but you haven't fooled God. And the Spirit of God is telling you in these moments, get right, put aside pride, get right, put aside pride, give your life to me, receive my gift, receive my grace. God offers that freely. So that man was without excuse. And if you're willing to by faith return and receive that, God promises He won't cast you out. If any man comes to me, I will in no way cast him out. Can I encourage you this morning to humble yourself, to receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And if the Spirit of God is plucking on your heart to do that, then today, behold, today is your day of salvation. Today's the day that you're converted and made a new creation in Christ. Old things can pass away and behold, all things can become new. And you'll turn and you'll make that new walk. You'll begin that new process. And all of a sudden, the things of God begin to make sense. You become hungry and thirsty for righteousness. You want to be in God's church. You want to be around God's people. Stuff's exciting. You begin to grow. So, verse 10 tells us that God had prepared uh, these things beforehand that we should walk in them. Interesting. Look at this. Look in your Bible. Remember how Paul started off this section? He said we were dead. He said that you walked according to the course of this world, um, according to this present age, according to the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. 
You notice before verse 2, we once walked this way. We once walked this way. But God. But God. He's rich in mercy. He's rich in grace. And this morning, no doubt, He's extending that offer to someone here. Can I encourage you to receive that gift? You know, Christmas time, you get a lot of presents. Some of you, some of you more than others. Um, but you get gifts. And you don't typically do anything to, to earn those. Some husband said, yeah, if you had to put up with the stuff I had to put up with. <laughs> you, you didn't earn those gifts. They're given to you. Can you imagine sitting there and folding your arms? No, I'm not going to open them. I don't want them. <laughs> It'd be foolish. But yet, every Sunday in many churches, spiritually speaking, someone sits there puffed up with their arms folded. I don't want one. I don't want that. I don't want that. And they reject it. You know, if you're willing to humble yourself, God says in His Word that He resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And if you're willing to humble yourself and receive the gift that He offers His Son, Jesus Christ, He says you'll walk a new way. That's what Paul says there in closing. He says we are His workmanship. We're His poem created in Christ Jesus for good works. We've been transformed in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's a clear contrast here in this passage. We used to walk the way of the world. If you're here as a believer, there's a new walk. In conclusion, I want to ask you the question. How's your walk? How's your walk, Christian? Are others seeing your good works and glorifying your Father in heaven? Now listen, I'm not saying you do works to be seen by men. Okay? Because you have your reward if that's why you do what you do. That others will pat you on the back. It's not why we do them. It's an outflow of who we are in Christ. You can't help but do the things you do as a believer. So, how's your walk, Christian? Are you still walking to the course of this world? Or are you still pursuing the things of this world? There's many carnal Christians, I believe, in the church that are... No different than the man next door who doesn't know Christ. And that's because his eyes aren't, aren't on eternity. His eyes are on the temporal here and now. Can I encourage us as the new year approaches, as we look to the future, if the Lord should allow, can we as a church, can we as a people begin to take our eyes off the temporal and look to eternity? Let our treasures be there. Set our hearts there. Because presently speaking, in the Spirit of God, we're there. We're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That is as good as done because it's paid in full and you're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So let's turn our eyes heavenward instead of earthly. Are you walking for the age to come? That's the way we need to walk. And that's where I want us to be challenged in this year to come, that we will walk for the age to come.
for the glory that will soon be here. And it's coming. It's coming. He will return. He has kept every promise up to this point. And there's no reason why that next appointment will not be fulfilled. Is your hope in Christ? I want to give you some passages to just ponder. So think about this as we close out this section. Um, In the past, we were dead. In the present, we were delivered. And in the future, we were destined. And it's all because of His pardon, because of His provision, and because of His poem. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light, Romans 13, 12. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Acts 9, 31. Then had thee the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Right there is a recipe for church growth. You want a biblical church growth plan? Let's get back to fearing God. Let's get back as a people to reverence our Lord in the way we conduct ourselves, in the way we live from Monday through Saturday so that we clearly carry out what we've been doing all week here on Sundays. You'll have the comfort of the Holy Ghost and God will add in here daily who He desires to be saved. But, uh, 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 2, 6, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Let's pray. Father, uh, I pray that you would uh, do as you said in your word, that your word would not return void, but that it would accomplish what it's been sent forth to accomplish. And Lord, I just ask that you would, through your Holy Spirit, really work in our lives to bring us to the place where we're in full surrender, where we can walk not according to this world, but according to the age to come. Father, help us to be your people. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege to open your word and to share the gospel. Father, there's no doubt there's someone here today that, truth be known, they've never turned from this life to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. I ask that you would convict them, Lord, of their sin and that you would draw them with the love of repentance. Father, allow your grace, your mercy to stir their heart today. I ask the saints to pray that if there is anyone that perhaps today is the day that God would have them surrender, that they would respond in obedience. 
And as the saints pray, I want to ask, nobody looking around? Maybe you're here this morning. And the Spirit of God spoke to you. You're on the wrong road. And you know that if you were to die today and stand before a holy God, that you got what you deserve. You deserve hell. Can I share with you the love and truth of God's uh, message that He's not willing that you perish? But you've got a condition that needs to be dealt with. You're spiritually dead. And only the Holy Spirit of God can awaken you. Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. If you'd like to, by faith, receive this new birth today, I want to ask you right where you're at to just call upon the name of the Lord. Turn from your sin. Put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. By faith, ask Christ to be your Lord and your Savior. God, forgive me. I've sinned. I know I've... I understand now. that you would save my soul. I turn to you in trusting faith this day. And I'm calling upon the name of Jesus Christ to save me. I put my faith and trust in Him and Him alone. If you just prayed that prayer, nobody's looking around. A prayer doesn't save you. There's no magic words that can be uttered. But if your heart has been drawn by the Holy Spirit of God and you've been convicted that you're a sinner. And you've by faith turned to Christ today. I want to pray for you. If that was you, would you slip your hand up and pull it back down? Nobody's looking. I just want to pray that God will help you and strengthen you in this decision that you've made. Anyone around the room, today by faith I received Christ as my Lord and Savior. I sense the Holy Spirit is awakening me and and I want to follow the Lord as, as He would have me. Anyone? Father, You know whose hearts You're dealing with. And we know salvation belongs to You. It's not about a prayer. It's not about a, a decision necessarily. Lord, it's about Your cords of love drawing them. It's about You compelling man to turn and and Lord, your word has been preached. Your word has gone forth and I know it will not return void. And so Father, I pray that those that are, are being dealt with wherever they are in this journey, I trust that Lord, seeds are watered, seeds are planted and that you will bring the increase. Lord, I pray that those who've heard the truth today would not harden their heart to it, but that we would be sensitive to walk according to the Spirit of God. And we'll thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.